a science story, huh? These NYU scientists, they felt And I just thought, well, I figured it out. It was that golden moment. Because science was on my side. Hey everyone, I'm Ben Lilly, and welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true stories of how science has affected people's lives. This week's story is from Caroline Howe. The story was recorded in April 2012 at Union Hall in Brooklyn. The theme of the event was travel. I grew up in a small town in Connecticut. Now, some people think that Brooklyn is a small town, but y'all don't know small towns. Durham, Connecticut is 6,000 people, 10,000 cows. We've got one library, one street light, one bar, and luckily, one dump. Durham is too small to have door-to-door pickup of our garbage, so every week, everyone, like my family, would head to the dump. Now, the dump was a big deal. (laughs) That's how small Durham was. It was a big, exciting adventure to go to the dump, not only because you would get that thrilling sound of glass hitting glass and some glass breaking, you'd also get the excitement of garbage being compacted um, and papers sort of slowly floating through the air as they landed in the big bin of papers. Now, all week we would prepare for the trips to the dump by separating out our garbage, so plastics in one bucket, papers in a big red bin, Our food waste would be fed to the chickens, and what couldn't be fed, like eggshells and onions, would go into a big pile in our backyard and would be composted, turned into soil that we would then grow our plants with. So recycling for me wasn't environmental, it was just what you do. What was environmental was going out into the woods and tracking lizards or catching fireflies. Animals are environmental. So when I knew I wanted to work in the environment, I thought that meant What I did briefly, going to Costa Rica and tracking toucans or turtles nesting in the beach. But then I heard about climate change. And everything changed because all of a sudden I realized that if you wanted to save the environment, you had to stop climate change. So the pragmatic, environmental 21-year-old that I was, I started thinking. Now buildings contribute the most emissions of any industry And so if we want to stop climate change, we've got to change our buildings. Now, where are we building buildings on this planet of ours? India, China, and the Gulf. And I wanted to live in a democracy. So I set sail, figuratively, to India. Now, I had arranged to work for India's largest and most prestigious environmental organization. That seemed like a great idea. They were really good at making green buildings. So I had six months to change India's built environment. No big deal. I had traveled a lot overseas, uh, but I had never lived in an apartment in a foreign land. So when I got to India, I started nesting. I was sharing an apartment with two other Americans, and I was the first to arrive, so obviously I was the first to set up our waste management system. Not surprisingly, that meant three bags, one for plastic, one for paper, and one for everything else, which is just how you do it. So after my first week in the apartment, my three bags are full, and I don't know where the dump is. So I head downstairs to talk to Raj Narang, our friendly landlord, about what he did with his recyclables. (laughs) 
Raj walked me upstairs, and meanwhile, I'm thinking in the cultural analysis mode I'm in, this is so exciting. They take their garbage to the roof? This is awesome. What an efficient use of space and a great way to get exercise once a week. When we get to the roof, Raj explains to me what we do with our garbage in Delhi. He says, we throw it into the jungle. Now, I didn't know much about Indian geography by that point, but I knew that the jungle was somewhere between hundreds and thousands of miles away, and it was certainly not off our roof. When Raj threw our garbage off the roof, <laughs> I was sick to my stomach. Uh, and when I peered over the edge of our building, I saw no jungle. I saw three scrubby, dusty trees, a railroad track, and in between the track and the trees, a row of tarps. Homes for the men, women, and children who lived in the slum behind our house. So what Raj really couldn't see was that his jungle was not just someone's backyard, it was somebody's house. I physically could not imagine ever doing that, and my immediate instinct was to either jump off the roof to try to reclaim my garbage, or to jump on a plane and get out of the country that had created him. Instead, what I did was every week pack up my backpack full of our recyclables in our three separate bags for paper, plastic, and everything else, and head to my environmental organization where I would secretly stuff my garbage into the garbage bins of this NGO. This had to be done secretly because it's sort of an embarrassing thing to do. So I would come earlier before any of the other employees to find the biggest garbage can that could actually fit all of our garbage. Now I did this without telling anyone for the first few days, again, because it's embarrassing. But eventually I had to ask. I was still mixing my recyclables, which still made me a little nauseous every time I put everything <laughs> in one bin. So I asked my first friend, you know, so where's the paper recycling? And what I found out when I continued to ask people was that there was no paper recycling for the reams of paper that we printed to write reports on climate change and green buildings. There was no place to recycle the plastic bottles that we used in the hundreds to serve to the, in the international dignitaries who would come to discuss global climate policy. And there was certainly no place to compost the hundreds of tea bags we went through every day during the four chai breaks a day, morning, late morning, afternoon, late afternoon. And the more that I asked, the more I just got these confused looks. Why are you asking what we do with our garbage? Why would we think about that? We're too busy thinking about global climate change and changing building policy. And I just couldn't believe that this place that had been my dream for so long, the environmental mecca, was actually just letting all their garbage go to the same place. And it turned out that I wasn't alone, and the more that I asked, some people were curious why we weren't walking the same walk we were talking. But meanwhile, I needed to move apartments. I couldn't live in the same place where this man just wouldn't let us change our garbage systems, and my roommates were too scared to ask him if there was another way. So I moved to a new apartment where I could successfully sell my recyclables to the Kabariwala, the guy who makes a living collecting people's paper, and I could compost my food waste on the balcony, but which was only banana peels because I wasn't cooking. Now, India, as I'm sure you know, is one of the best places for food, and I can't cook Indian food at least. 
So I would go out every day for lunch and dinner and have delicious, cheap food. Less than a dollar could get me the best meal ever. And I would also always, I can't make an Indian cup of tea, maybe an embarrassing uh, um, announcement, but I would go out every day to have my four cups of chai because I caught on to that lesson at least. I'd sit underneath this big banyan tree and have a cup of chai in the morning and in the evening and reflect on all the possibilities for changing the way that people were managing waste if I couldn't change their buildings. And while I was there, I got talking to Arjun, the fruit chatwala, the guy who makes a spicy fruit salad that he sells on the street. And as Arjun and I were talking, I, I'll be honest, I was talking to him because he has this really gorgeous smile. And, um, but what it also turns out was that Arjun had this huge blue barrel that was full of his food scraps. So that's the melon peels, the banana peels that he would turn into this fruit salad. And he was dumping hundreds of pounds of fruit peels every day. So one day I followed him. Not in a sort of stocky follow way, but in a can I walk with you kind of way. But I tracked him to where he was dumping the food waste. And now this also was no jungle. This was a giant dumpster full of all the food waste from the market, from all the restaurants where I was having my lunch and dinner, and from all of the other guys who were making fruit chat. It was disgusting and stinky and full of people who were still sorting through our food waste, trying to find anything of value left in it. So all this time while I had been talking about all of these other things that people were doing wrong, my food waste was ending up in the same place. So we started thinking about how we could change it, and immediately a vision. Turn food waste into energy, power the market. Turns out big ideas take a really long time, <laughs> and they take a really long time in India. So 18 months of government meetings later, hours of heated debates about how things could change, and, um, and many more hours than that banging my head against the wall, we suddenly realized we needed to start a little bit smaller. There was a youth NGO in the neighborhood that started composting their food waste, their banana peels and the leftovers from their lunches, and they started turning that into soil. And as they did it, people in the neighborhood started noticing. So eventually one of their neighbors said, well, you can use our yard. And so once a week, Arjun, the fruit chatwala, would take his big blue barrel, put it on his bike, and bike it over with the kids in the neighborhood to turn it into soil. And eventually we were turning hundreds of pounds of waste, if not the thousands that were created, into soil. And the more we kept doing this, the more other people started hearing about it and asking what they could do in their schools to create jungles inside their schools, turning food waste into soil and growing gardens within their own schools. And it was pretty exciting. But eventually, after six months had turned into four and a half years of waste adventures in India, it was time to come home. I was really sad to leave, but I was really excited to return to the land of three clearly marked bins. <laughs> Turns out I didn't move back to Durham, Connecticut. I moved back to New York. And in New York, y'all don't have three bins. In fact, you're lucky if you have one bin at all. And I was shocked. More shocked than the lack of bins, I was shocked by the fact that America still uses styrofoam. I thought that we had learned that that just doesn't go away and it'll be around for as long from now as the dinosaurs were before us. 
But then again, I guess in a country that doesn't teach evolution, you don't teach styrofoam either. So I realized it was also really hard to live in New York and actually think about everything, to think about where was this jungle where everything was going. And it's hard in every decision that I make to actually think about that, and it's been amazing. And one reason why New York's been so inspiring is seeing the people who do, who do think about and are thinking about where food is coming from and where our waste is going and are really changing it in exciting ways. Um, because it's really hard to see the jungle here. It's hard to end up in the landfills in the Bronx or in the Great Pacific Garbage packs, Patch where tiny pieces of each of our plastic bottles end up. It's hard to go and see these jungles. And it's hard to even imagine it, and it's really hard and really tiring to think about that every time we're making a decision. So what's funny to me, though, is that it took me going around the world to meet a guy who was so blind to the fact that he was throwing his garbage into a jungle that was someone else's home in his backyard to meet an environmental organization that didn't see the fact that the jungle where their waste was ending up was the same jungle they were spending all of their time fighting to protect, to recognize that we're all doing the same thing and that in the end, everywhere, whether we're in the farms and fields of Durham or the concrete streets of New York and Delhi, we're all living in the same jungle. Thanks. That was Caroline Howe. Caroline helps people to take environmental action in their communities and is particularly passionate about engaging young people in developing community-based solutions. This has taken her to five continents, working with NGOs, youth groups, companies, UN agencies, and hundreds of fantastic youth leaders. For more science stories, take a look at storycollider.org, where we have our magazine, archives of the podcast, and upcoming events. We currently have events scheduled in New York, Boston, and London. If you have a story you'd like to tell, we also have submission information there as well. The Story Collider is produced by me, Brian Wecht, and Aaron Barker. The podcast is produced by Rose Eveleth. Additional help from Brooke Williams, Lena Groger, Josh McCall, and Raffaella Benin. The theme music is by Ghost. Special thanks to Union Hall for hosting the show, and to Rain for falling on my head like a memory. Thanks for listening. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.